0: Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public safety today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsty.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Posezny. Good morning, folks. This is Mike with Public Safety Today, and today we are talking about alcohol abuse. And our training manual that we're using is Richard K. James's sixth edition of Crisis Intervention Strategies. We're talking about the dynamics of addiction, and right now we're focusing on defense mechanisms. First one coming to mind, everybody's heard of, denial. Alcoholism is often called the disease of denial. What is it? Denial is a normal adaptive process for self-protection. But in that alcoholic, it's something that becomes rigid and maladaptive. It stops help-seeking behavior. They will refuse to go to counseling. Even though they know that if they go to counseling and they end up finally getting there, uh, they may argue themselves out of the counseling because it often contributes to treatment failure. That sets up relapse. Denial is an emotional refusal to acknowledge a person's situation or condition or event the way that it actually is. And in the case of alcoholism, denial is the fact that they are an alcoholic. Displacement is the venting of hostility on a person or object. You know, like, you know, it's your fault that I had a drink. You know, that kind of thing. They yell at their wife or they they yell at a friend of theirs and they displace that hostility. Instead of dealing with it, they vent on that individual and then they use the drink to cover it up. Fantasy. Alcoholics use a lot of fantasy to escape from a variety of threatening circumstances. They escape boredom from the job. They uh, escape the anxiety they have in relationships that aren't working out quite right. They escape the frustration they have over not progressing in their career. Um, To them, the The state of being inebriated and self medicating through the alcohol is more rewarding than the world that they have to face, and so they they return to the alcohol over and over and over again in order to be able to deal with what's going on. projection alcoholics a lot of times will attri- attribute motives within themselves to other people they'll be real suspicious they'll be hostile toward other people. These are outward manifestations of the estrangement and the lack of communication that characterize the alcoholic in projecting out of themselves all of this distancing kind of thing that they typically do. They don't trust themselves, so they don't trust other people as well. Rationalization. They'll make a lot of excuses to be able to support their addiction, uh, to be able to cover up the inadequacy that they feel of acting and behaving the way that they know that they should but they'll rationalize that you know uh, it's a, it's appropriate behavior. Sometimes maybe they'll intellectualize it. They'll speak in generalizations or some grand theoretical terms about some subject, and that way they'll remove themselves from the feelings that they have about destroying themselves or their relationships with others. They'll minimize. They'll say, "Oh well, you know, this is just something. This is a short-term thing. I'm just." I'm just getting drunk because of what you know. It's a temporary thing, so they'll minimize, or they'll do what's called a reaction formation. Reaction formation is a defense against a uh, perceived threat, and is one of the most harmful defensive mechanisms because what it does is it distances that alcohol dependent person from their true feeling. They they fear rejection, and so they'll go out of their way to find it, even when it isn't there. And that's what that reaction formation is all about. They will they will, um, they will form the reaction, which then gives them the excuse for what it is that they're doing. Regression. Alcoholics a lot of times will be real immature, real narcissistic. Um, they'll throw little temper tantrums. They'll sulk, they'll pout. They'll come up with all kinds of ways to be able to me- manipulate other people around them. They actually regress. They act almost childlike. Uh, so that they can then blame the reaction of that other person that they have been regressive with or against as their reason then to be justified in drinking. And then repression. The alcoholics deal with hurtful events by burying them in unconscious memory. And when the alcoholic is sober, they repress their dependency needs, they depress the angry feelings that accompany all of those uh, they don't remember much of the personality or behavior changes that occur when they are intoxicated. They become a whole different kind of person. They repress that individual uh, that they know is part of themselves that they don't that they don't want anymore. So when we look at enabling, this is as another defensive mechanism, and we look at the enablers that are out there. Uh, enablers aren't necessarily just the spouses or the family members. A lot of times employers and employees can be part of enablers, you know, maybe they're Scared of losing their job. And so their boss, who is a you know a complete jerk when he's uh, inebriated at work, is tolerated because his secretary doesn't want to take a chance on losing her job or thought badly about it. Um, Oftentimes, an employee won't be confrontational about substance abuse issues. And so a lot of times we just talked about Things like uh, rationalization and displacement and denial when we were talking about the dynamics of addiction, well, just think about how these dynamics of addiction can hit the workplace where chemical dependents are usually really good at manipulating things uh to make the enablers feel like they're doing them a favor, but they can be turned uh, can turn angry. you know maybe they're doing them a favor supposedly by doing the other person's work for them, or well, you know Johnny, I'm covering up for the fact that you can't do your job well. So don't talk to me about my drinking because I've been covering for you for years or accepting excuses or overlooking a lot of times absenteeism or tardiness problems that their subordinates are having so their subordinates are tied to them uh, for you know having a little drink during lunch once in a while or maybe they're Subordinates have their own chemical abuse issues. And so it's just an environment where, well, we're all supporting each other. You know, uh, life's rough and, uh, you know, all of us need whatever it is that, that you know, gets each other off and, and everybody has this poison, right? So they kind of help each other through the whole system. It's important to understand that enabling has to do with one's behavior toward a person who's chemically dependent. Codependency has to do with one's relationship to the chemical dependent, so one can be an enabler without being codependent the you know an example of that is somebody who's on the street who gives um, a homeless person a handout. you know the homeless person can go ahead and buy the wine but there's no more than just a passing relationship between the two so codependent there's a relationship there and enabler is just somebody's behavior toward somebody who's chemically dependent there's a little bit of a difference there uh when we talk about suppression codependence may suppress the problems that the addict brings to the family by maintaining you know that good old stiff upper lip uh, not allowing their emotions to surface they just they just allow it to take place they suppress their own emotions they don't get involved they just say, you know, hey, uh, I'm just hoping at some point in time it'll change. Disassociation. For those who disassociate themselves from the problem and repress it, their perception of the events is altered by putting the problem aside. You know, oh, it's not a problem. Yeah, it, 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 that That is such a small problem. Let me tell you about some problems. Okay, so that, that kind of thing. Repression. Sometimes repression of events takes disassociation another step. Maybe uh, these people will bury hurtful events in their own unconscious memories and codependence then avoiding having to grapple with the terrible feelings that accompanied those events. Maybe this person's codependent is a parent of a young man or young woman who's coming back from Iraq and uh, is trying to repress those events themselves. And so they they have aligned themselves in repression mode with that person um, who's, you know, doing what it is that they're doing. Uh, escaping to the therapy. Sometimes uh, codependents may seek therapeutic assistance and they may escape to therapy themselves. Um, but the codependents still have to face reality and make some changes away from the maladaptive coping mechanisms that they have established and so this escape to therapy then uh, is part of what it is that they do when it comes to their enabling a codependency uh, status in that relationship. Intellectualization. Codependents will use intellectualization to keep themselves distanced from whatever the hurtful affect is that they get from that person who is in chemical imbalance in attempting to keep the system in balance as a whole and those relationships going, uh, they end up being kind of OCD when it comes to planning and attending to the details of their relationship by paying a lot of attention to all the details of the drinking events and what happens and everything else. uh, They intellectualize order. They say, you know, that because A, B follows A, and C follows B, and D follows C. Well, then, everything really is the way that it should be, and they intellectualize the whole situation. Displacement. In, in in displacement, a codependent may move feelings off of the focal point of the problem and move them to something else. Well, it's not Johnny's behavior and his drinking that's the real problem. Uh, it's really the fact that his wife, you know, she's she's hard to get along with. So they'll displace where where the focal point of the problem really needs to be. Uh, they may be passive aggressive. You know, Maybe they'll be late. Maybe they'll forget. Maybe they'll start arguments and then leave the argument. Um, maybe they'll imply suicide. They'll just keep everybody in this constant state of uproar, and as a result of that, that other person will stay codependent on them. And maybe, maybe they'll be a hypochondriac. You know, maybe they'll convert the anger that they feel over that abuser into physical complaints about themselves. They'll punish the abuser for what appears to be a physical complaint about an illness or something that's wrong with them physically, when in effect what it is is it's anger that's been converted into the physical complaints, and the anger's not being addressed at all it's just not It's just not seen, so when we take a look at codependent relationships, the codependent relationships will usually be there uh, because this person is trying to be supportive of what it is that the other person is doing um, in them having a drinking problem for whatever reason, but typically under the umbrella of them having some form of control over the situation, uh, potentially some form of power and control over the situation of the person who has the drinking issues, and they may rationalize it or in some way justify their actions, but what they are actually doing is just protracting the entire drinking scenario into the future and actually making it worse for the individual who's abusing the alcohol when we look at children in alcoholic families what are some roles that the children get involved with and and how can we label those because you know we got to label everything right uh how can we how can we label some of those and the 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 big problem with doing this a lot of times is is from a cultural diversity perspective is that we create these these roles these stereotypical roles that apply basically to the population at large, but we forget that there are very distinct differences in different ethnic groups in family dynamics. So when we talk about children and alcoholic families, we can't just arbitrarily apply um, Euro-American population standards to the, to the population at large. And this is where the crisis interventionist has to be very, very careful in reading more than just what appears to be at face value, all right? The scapegoat. Scapegoat is the typical, stereotypical troubled child of an alcoholic family. They're, they're an acting out child who comes to the attention of the principal and the administrators of the school, which means they come to the attention of the SRO, which means they come to the attention of social services. Uh, the kids usually have a very low self-image. They attempt to enhance themselves by attention-seeking behaviors and acting out, And as a result of these issues they're having at home, and usually a lot of the frustration and anger about what they're feeling about their home situation, they gravitate toward peers who also have self-esteem issues, who are also prone to engage in delinquent behaviors. And these are the scapegoat children are the ones who fill our correctional facilities, who fill our mental health institutions. Uh, and who begin self-medicating, maybe not with the alcohol, but they find some other addiction because they're learning that addiction methodology of handling your personal problems from the people who they have at home. So uh, in 1989, Wegscheider-Cruz is the one who came up with this term of scapegoats, uh, as those people who are enabling the addiction by becoming another stressor that can serve as an excuse for substance abuse and by focusing the family's anger and energy away from the addict and onto themselves. And so the kid is a scapegoat. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, if Johnny wasn't doing so-and-so, then I wouldn't be doing so-and-so. There's another kid who's a hero. This is the one that I just love. This is where the oldest child is the family hero. It's the little adult. You know, It's an eight-year-old kid who takes care of the alcoholic or the spouse uh, and probably takes care of the other children as well. And while that kid is trying to care for the family, that responsible child then enables the alcoholic because the alcoholic doesn't have to worry about their own family functions. They can go ahead and drink more. So the hero child actually becomes an enabler for the alcoholic. And usually these hero children will be very responsible in all their academic uh, efforts and all their extracurricular stuff. You know, to the people on the outside world, they're going to look like outstanding young men or women, uh, but the problem is is that um, they're going to form this, this reliance for being able to handle all the pressures of the world on themselves because the adults in the house, or at least that one who is an alcoholic, is teaching them that adults can't be dependent on and that adults don't care to provide you with direction. So there's going to be this hurt and this insulation that's going to build up in the hero child uh to where they're not going to ask other people for help even when they need it. And that's the shame. And that's part of what happened to this girl yesterday who called in. Uh she um she was the she was the one who wasn't taught anything by her family. She would go out there and she would push herself to accomplish things and be outstanding in school, get good grades, be involved in activities. And why was she doing this? Because her her home life was so miserable that she didn't want to be subjected to it. So she forced herself to wear this mask when she was out in the public of of an overachiever so that she could just be gone from home and not be subjected to what was happening. The lost child. Uh, the lost child is usually that one that's in the middle you know we've always had this this theoretical construct where the oldest child is the one who becomes the leader of the family the youngest child is always the one who is kind of the baby of the family that has a hard time growing up but then we have this one that's kind of stuck in the middle and they're usually referred to as the lost child Um, that's the child who follows the directions handles whatever has to be handled just kind of to whatever the circumstances are They normally appear to be more flexible and spontaneous um, than other kids do, somewhat more selfish than others in the home. Uh, They don't typically feel or question or get upset or try to draw any attention to themselves. And their whole thing is not to bother the alcoholic. They're an enabler for the alcoholic because they don't want to be a bother. They they see the hero child, the oldest child, as being the one that runs everything, and they see the youngest child as being the one who gets most of the attention. And so they're kind of lost about what they're supposed to do because these other two roles have already been accepted. So as a result of that, they kind of back off a little bit. They don't take leadership roles. They tend to be a little bit of a loner. They tend to be uh, much more independent and kind of do their own thing. And as a result of that, they don't have a lot of contact with the alcoholic, Uh, They don't want to have a lot of contact with them because they don't want to be a bother to them, and they enable the alcoholic as a result of the process. And then we have the family mascot, that youngest kid, the one that tends to be more spoiled because the family now has worked themselves up and has been around long enough to have amassed a little bit of family wealth. A little bit more of the creature comforts in life because the family has been the family now for a little bit longer period of time. Mom and or dad have worked their way up the the ladder a couple of rungs. They have a little bit more disposable income. And the family mascot child placates and comforts everybody in the family, tries to make them feel a little bit better. Might have a little little greater sense of humor. Uh, They may act kind of the clown and, and tell jokes, distract the family you know, that kind of things. Uh, socially, those people may then be the life of the party, but um, but not have a lot of very, very close friends, have a lot of kind of superficial kind of friends. Um, they may try to diffuse stress by using some kind of humor, but as a result of using humor in inappropriate uh, places or times within school, have trouble with their teachers because they don't know, you know, when to be quiet and when to stop using humor. Um, they may be a kind of a counselor to the rest of the family because they tend to be very sensitive to the needs of the of others they've been they've been able to stay in the corner and kind of watch and observe instead of having to do so they have watched and analyzed the family and a lot of times have a pretty good grasp on a lot of the nuances that's going on uh, within the family they may be the apologist for the family's behavior And they may try to help other people and heal other people. And this is seen very positively amongst their peers and at school where, you know, they're seen to be real helpful and where they share a lot and things like that. But because they're always in healing mode and helping mode, they actually are enablers for the alcoholic because they distract the family from the situation being as bad as what it is. Sometimes the mascot, the family mascot, assumes the role of a sick person in the family. Sometimes they may have psychosomatic illnesses um, that become the focal point for the family and then enables chemical dependency by taking the family's focus on sickness away from the alcoholic and the addict and, and placing the family's focus on the sick role that the family mascot's playing in order to be able to continue getting the attention that they want. A lot of times, the youngest kid will be vying for that attention because the oldest kid already had all the privileges. The middle kid was independent kind of doing their own thing and getting away with it because they didn't get as much attention as the oldest or the youngest. And so the youngest, in order to continue getting that attention when they're past the point of being cute, And all of a sudden they start, you know, people start expecting them to start growing up a little bit and doing things. Well, then they may use sickness or they may use uh, an inability to get along in life, to be dysfunctional as a way of not having to grow up and as a way to continue being spoiled by uh, by the family. So what, what kind of family rules are there in alcoholic families? Now that we took a look at the kids in the families, what are some of the rules that can help you to, ad- to identify a family that has alcoholism in it? And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back, and we'll get started on our alcoholic families. Don't go away. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. You may have a degree, but you have what it takes Online and field training available now from tapsty Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapstee.org. Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now.